The topic is the Japanese economy one year after Fukushima, so I, um, uh, I have to manage a bit the expectations in this room because I think uh, Fukushima, uh, lots of people associate a lot of things. I will, of course, my starting point is, is Fukushima, but I'm looking at the Japanese economy one year after Fukushima, so I'm not only uh, talking, will not only talk about the consequences of Fukushima, uh, in, in detail, uh, but I'd like to see where the Japanese economy is today. Yeah? Uh, it's not just Fukushima, there are lots of other things that uh, affect uh, the economy. So uh, we'll have a lot of, a lot of topics. Uh, the, it's going to be broad, a broad journey, not so much in depth, but wide. And I hope that after, uh, well, up to half past seven, I will have touched upon as many things as possible so that we have a lot of substance, a lot of uh, to, uh, for discussion. Well, we start with the, the impact of the triple disaster. And then um, I want to take up the, the hot subject of energy. Uh, then look at the, the fiscal condition of the, the Japanese uh, government, of course, which had to bear a large amount of the of the cost uh, of the disaster. Uh, and then, well, how is Japanese business doing? And some final remarks. The impact of the uh, triple disaster, they are, if you look at it in detail, immense sufferings, of course. Uh, still, the overall impact, however, was limited. Um, for the whole economy, yes. Uh, reconstruction, that's the funny thing about GDP. <laughs> uh, GDP uh, goes up yeah, when assets go down. <laughs> when there's destruction, you have to rebuild. Uh, that feeds into income. So um, reconstruction is a reconstruction stimulus. And there are, of course, some lessons that we learned, and there are some remaining challenges. The sufferings might... Well, these figures uh, are just documenting uh, what uh, is actually not measurable. Um, the number of debt, the debt toll at the moment, 15,854. Uh, still some more than 3,000 missing. 340,000 people evacuated, basically because of uh, Fukushima. Um, we contaminated the... 20 kilometers around uh, the nuclear power station. Then uh, a lot of destruction, uh, fully destroyed buildings, 130,000, 250,000 severely damaged, 680,000 partially damaged. You can imagine how many people suffered from this loss of property, destroyed offices and production sites, and financial distress that is still, still going on. Um, I think it's, it's hard to imagine, and the figures only give you a little, a little feeling, probably, of all this. And, of course, the fears about contamination that continue, and the quakes, the earth continues to shake. And uh, everybody who, who lives uh, around here uh, and who was here a year before uh, is, again, reminded of what happened, even if, it was only, if, even if it's now only a small... Uh, a small earthquake, but there have been stronger ones recently as well, up in Fukushima and Ibaraki. 
Now, so far, uh, an economist and and I I was I, I looked I looked at the the overall economic impact um, uh, last year. Tried to assess you know what does it mean for the whole economy. Um, the damages, uh, if you only look at the buildings and infrastructure, this was easily is easily assessed um, about 17 trillion yen, which is 3.5 percent of Japanese GDP. But a better uh, measure of reference would be the total of the tangible fixed assets of the economy, Japanese economy. That's 1.1 percent of these tangible fixed assets that were destroyed. Um, the region itself, um, it's about roughly 10 percent. If you take the Tohoku area, uh, about roughly 10 percent uh, of, uh, of Japan with a population roughly 5 percent. Yeah? So you see that it was not so densely, uh, well, there was not such dense investment in, in this area um, if the damages are one point. 1% of Japan's total, that means a lot for the area. Yeah, it means a lot for the area, but little for the whole. Not so much for the whole. Um, the um, impact on, on GDP, on income, of course, income, income was lost. Production was interrupted because essential uh, suppliers in the area, car industry especially, but also IT, related supplies were hit and um, the whole whole of Japan suffered, stopped. Many productions had to stop, were interrupted. Um, however, um, everybody, uh, people reacted very quickly and it was amazing at what speed uh, the infrastructure was rebuilt. Factories were again uh, restored, or if not possible, then machinery was moved to other places. Yeah. Um, so um, when you look at the actual impact now, one year after, how does it how does it show up in the real GDP in Japanese GDP? Uh, these are figures from '94 till most recently the last quarter, third quarter of 2011, published by the Cabinet Office. Um, S3, Economic and Social Research Institute, you would at first think, oh God, Fukushima. But that's not Fukushima. That's the Lehman shock. Yeah. That's the Lehman shock. Fukushima is here. Yeah. It's, uh, if you look at the, the, whole, the whole picture, you might, you see there are ups and downs all along. Of course, quarterly estimates are very rough estimates. They're always corrected afterwards. Um, but the Lehman shock in terms of GDP meant a much higher cost, a much higher damage, economic damage uh, to the Japanese economy uh, than, than this Tohoku earthquake. Yeah? Of course, you can say, okay, then GDP is not the right measure uh, to look at, but uh, it's an important economic variable. Uh, to measure the overall economic activity. Overall economic activity was not so much affected. This is uh, one, one lesson to be learned that, uh, as I said, the income measure 
that we have here is, uh, yeah, is maybe not what people, what people would like to, to measure if they think about you know, the well-being of people in the area. Yeah. But this is a long discussion, and I think the Institute here is also uh, trying to, uh, to develop other, uh, other more comprehensive measures. But as far as GDP is concerned, the impact has been, has been limited. And actually, actually, there will be even a stimulus for the economy because of the rebuilding. Yeah? Assets have to be rebuilt that have been destroyed. This is a, a recent survey by the Teikoku database. About 2,400 or 500 companies were asked all over Japan, all over Japan, what was, what was their, what they think uh, will be the effect of reconstruction, and about 85% think that in a way they will benefit. In a way, there will be some stimulus for them. Although the majority, about two thirds, say mm, the chances are not so high, but we expect something from it. And uh, economic think tanks. It's not only the reconstruction that is going on. It is also the 18 trillion yen of extra, extra uh, fiscal, well, extra budget that the Japanese government um, decided sort of to, to uh, put aside or to invest in the, in the rebuilding of the area. Uh, these 18 trillion will also be, well, they function like um, yeah, a, fiscal, a fiscal stimulus for uh, for the Japanese economy. And it's estimated that the GDP will be one percentage point higher because of this um, during the fiscal year 2012. So this is, um, again, here we see, we see the, uh, it's not, one, one could not say, say the, the, the positive side, but uh, it's going ahead. People are moving ahead and uh, the future they are, they are leaving behind. They are leaving behind the the uh, the shock. Hopefully, hopefully in this in this stimulus, a lot of people also in Tokyo will find new jobs and new income. Yeah, and um, will be able to overcome um, at least partly the suffering they had. So um, the lessons, I think, the lessons that this triple disaster. Uh, taught us about Japan, about uh, Japan's uh, precautions. Everybody knew that Japan is an earthquake-prone country. Actually, 20% um, of the earthquakes globally, 20% of earthquakes of size 6, magnitude 6 or higher, occur in Japan. Uh, that was known before. Yeah. So Japan is probably the most uh, earthquake-prone country in the world. Um, they had uh, some tsunamis uh, in history, but um, they didn't consider tsunami risk uh, adequately. Yeah? And that was, if you think, 90% of the people died because of the tsunami, or more than 90%. Most of the damage, the devastated areas, is because of the tsunami. And of course, the nuclear accident was also uh, the earthquake already hit the plant, but I think um, the tsunami also added uh, an important 
uh, additional, additional shock to it. So uh, why? Why did the people, if, if Japan had been prepared for the earthquake, for the, for the tsunami as well as it had prepared for the earthquake, um, people would probably think, what a great country. How they, you know, how they manage, how they, how they withstand such a, such a uh, catastrophe. But uh, it wasn't, it wasn't. Um, we know that partly one, one reason severe governance deficiencies in the oversight of nuclear power operations. Um, the, ministry, the ministry that was uh, in charge of promoting nuclear energy was also in charge of oversight. Yeah. There's something you, you don't think that's an adequate governance structure, and now it's being changed that the this new agency, independent agency, uh, to over, oversee uh, nuclear power industry. There was bad risk management. Of course, in such a situation, um, what would be the standard? Yeah? Uh, but uh, there are now reports, uh, reports by the government, uh, by the international uh, uh, agency, and also by an independent, by an independent uh, group of people. And they, um, well, they come to the conclusion that uh, things were really running bad and it could have been, if the wind had been different and other things, uh, it might have been even worse than it already was. Um, there was also bad risk communication. Yeah. Uh, people not being informed, um, given different kinds of information. Um, so in a, in a whole way, this is also some people say that's, that's a problem of governance. You cannot run, uh, maybe the nuclear industry shouldn't be a private, privately run industry. Yeah? Uh, maybe it should be state-owned uh, state to have more control in case of emergency, more direct controls. Um, on the positive side, the strong resilience of the Japanese people to overcome this, also to rebuild, yeah? rebuild. The, uh, the, to bear the sufferings, to uh, quickly look forward and say, let's, let's rebuild, let's, uh, uh, yeah, let's, let's act. Um, and finally, uh, what we all learned, even in a hot summer, that Japan can save energy. Yeah. There is, uh, well, Japan could manage with less a lot of less, less electricity um, than it used to use in the years before. So um, the lessons learned, there are lots of challenges left. And uh, Florian Kulmas already mentioned some of them. The decommissioning of Fukushima plant. Um, government panel estimates that this would cost another 1.15 trillion yen to decommission. Uh, the plant. I'm not in a position to evaluate this figure. Could be. It seems it seems manageable. It's it's a huge number, but it might be might be too 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 low. How to rebuild devastated areas in Tohoku? Um, do you really want people to move actually back, um, or do you want to find a new home for them? Yeah, that's something that. Uh, 
I think uh, is not so openly discussed as it might uh, be uh, useful to or reasonable to. Um, what to do with the contaminated areas as well. I mean, there are some very idealistic plans to clean all the soil. Um, is that, is that, gonna, is that uh, something that will be feasible? Um, and the debris, um, all the destroyed buildings, 22.5 million tons. Um, I think it's 15, 16 years of, of, uh, of what you normally dispose of. Yeah. Uh, huge, some of it contaminated, and 94% yet to be disposed. I mean, it's been cleared, most of it has been cleared, but it's piled up, and it has to wait to be disposed. Of course, uh, the area itself is not a able to, to cope with it. The whole of Japan will have to help in this. Um, and maybe some will end up in the sea. The other big question I want to I wanna pick up uh, soon is how to run Japan with little or no, maybe no nuclear energy. And um, last but not least, um, a very profound question, how to restore trust. Whom can you believe? Uh, in, in such situations, I think we, we see that... Uh, uh, the foundations of, of a society is some basic, there's basic trust that we don't question. And only if things like this happen, we start to question this basic foundation of trust. And that makes, uh, well, that makes it very difficult to cope, um, to cope with many things in life because we see how much dependent we are on what other people tell us. Yeah? Um, in a highly specialized uh, economy like, like the Japanese economy, uh, we have to rely on other people, yeah? that the food is okay, that uh, the buildings, the soil, um, where children go, that this is not contaminated, that this is okay. Even if we know contamination, how can we assess? I mean, what, how, should we, how should we behave? I was, I was myself very frustrated to, to buy food in Tokyo, not being able to say where does it come from. Yeah? doesn't say anything, you know, where it says who produces it, yeah? The milk, for example. But it doesn't say where the cow was actually standing <laughs> uh, that gave the milk. So uh, this, is a, this is something that might take, might take more time, but it's a fundamental, also a fundamental issue. This is basically the, the starting point. I don't want to go deeper into into Fukushima and what should be done there. There are, of course, lots of projects going on and lots of ideas of what to do with Tohoku to make it a model case um, for, for energy uh, preservation and high-tech and other things. Um, a lot still has to be, most of it has to be realized yet. Um, I want to take up um, some, other, some other topics that are uh, important for the Japanese economy. And um, that, um, yeah, will broaden, broaden the, the picture, will tell us what Japan, where Japan is now one year after. The energy supply and demand. Can Japan do without nuclear energy? So there's lost and unused capacity. 
Um, there have been, in the last summer, over the last year, there have been enormous adjustments in demand. There have been some energy imports. And the big question is what will happen with the nuclear power uh, stations, the nuclear power plants in Japan. Fukushima, the, uh, the four uh, reactors there uh, produce some 8% of uh, overall electricity in Japan. So 8% of electricity capacity were destroyed in Fukushima. Then um, continuous shutdowns of nuclear power plants in Japan. That's a normal procedure. Yeah? Therefore, testing, they are shut down. And in order to restart, the, um, the local um, the governor has to approve. Yeah? This is something maybe that uh, the people who, 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 um, who, th who established this regulation were not thinking of the possible consequences. Uh, but um, because if it was, I think if it was the national government to decide, probably many of them would already be running. Yeah? But it's the local people who have to say yes. And so far, yeah, so far, uh, uh, all of them have been shut down, but none have, has restarted. Um, well, they supplied these 50, it was 54, now it's only 50. Um, they, they, were, they supplied 27% of electricity in 2010. And uh, they were expected, there are 10 more to be built. They expected to supply 40% by 2017. Electricity in, has a 45% share in Japan's energy consumption, which is high also in international standards. So it's the whole energy balance of Japan is, uh, of course, at stake here. That's the challenge. There were adjustments in demand that uh, prevented, prevented a larger shortage of supply. Um, you see here, during the hot, very hot time, August, September, it was 11%, more than 11% demand, lower than the year before. Yeah. Enormous. And um, now winter, we somehow also managed. I think uh, Japan is, again, very bright. Um, and people, well... Uh, the heating technology in Japan, I think, uh, uh, they something to, to learn from Germany. Yeah? The way I'm heating my apartment here is, not, uh, is probably not energy efficient. Um, but still, we manage. Yeah? We manage even, even over winter. And um, so the question is, well, some people say, well, Japan had to, had to import a lot, of, a lot of energy from abroad. To cover this, yeah, but in fact, in fact, there were, there was an increase in value terms by 25% of energy, uh, of uh, mineral fuel fuels, but there was little imported actually in quantity. I was surprised. I was, I was, I was thinking now oh, it should show up here in this column, yeah, um, but the change, the big changes in value terms, in quantity wise. Japan did not import so much more. Yeah? But of course, in the media, you hear, oh, Japan's energy security is at stake. 
Yeah, Japan had to import so much more mineral fuels because of all the shutdown uh, nuclear power plants. I think the, the figures tell a, a little bit of different story. There has been, even here for petroleum, there was reduced LNG increased, uh, LPG a bit, coal reduced. So quantity-wise, I'm not able to aggregate this. I don't know whether it's in energy uh, terms. Uh, these are just volume figures, yeah, tons, liters, metric tons, kiloliters. Um, so if you add up the quantity, a little plus, but um, maybe not as much as people Maybe some people want us to believe that uh, Japan cannot do without nuclear power. So there has been overcapacity that was helpful to overcome the loss in capacity. Yeah? Why was there overcapacity? Well, because basically the cost structure allowed electric power companies. It was yeah, to build this overcapacity. There was an incentive to build overcapacity because it meant the costs associated with it would, be, would actually be borne by the, by the consumers. And uh, there was no, there was no uh, kind of competition to, to, limit, to limit the capacity. Um, so there was overcapacity. There is an energy saving potential that has been realized partly in summer. Yeah? Uh, I think there's, uh, there could be more, yeah? and innovation. Companies see that as an opportunity. Um, NEC, Fujitsu, they come up with new, with new solutions to uh, economize power consumption, energy consumption. Um, helps to reduce, also further exploit the potential for energy saving. More imports. Japan already imported a little bit more. Uh, already Japan has a very high dependence and politically it doesn't want to become more, more dependent on, on imports. Now the risk, the political risks of, of Japan's energy dependence um, might, one way to counter the risk is to further diversify the sources where Japan draws its energy imports from. Um, so more diversification might also allow Japan to increase, even increase import. Uh, but there is some political, strong political resistance uh, against this. And uh, the, the good, what people thought that nuclear energy would bring would, um, was that more independence from energy imports. Yeah? That was the promise uh, of nuclear energy. Renewable energy, there is an unexploited potential also here for solar, wind, bio, maybe some other. Um, Japan, Japan maybe more than Germany. Germany is now focusing on, on, on renewable energy, but from, from the climatic conditions and so on, Japan might be even more favored than, than Germany. But the big question is, um, whether there is a political will. There has been a shift in energy policy, but um, the shift is we won't increase, we will reduce our dependence on nuclear energy. 
but uh, there is no statement saying we will do without nuclear energy. The, uh, the big question is whether local resistance will be overcome, um, whether this is just a question of money, yeah? how much money do you give to the region, what do you promise them, yeah? um, or whether this is more fundamental. And if, if uh, local resistance remains, what will the central government do? Yeah? That's an open, open question. There have been some legal reforms to support investment in, uh, in and the use of renewable energy, uh, a feed-in law that uh, similar to the German one. And the big question that has to still to be answered is at what price do you feed in? A feed-in law does not mean automatically that you support renewable energy. If the feed-in price is too low, uh, you will not support, you will not promote uh, renewable energy. So um, here, at the moment, uh, it seems that uh, this is, this is uh, not moving as far ahead, as fast ahead as people wanted. Uh, some investors already say, look, we are ready. We already started investing. We want to know at what price we can sell. We can sell the energy. And uh, that has not yet, been, not yet been fixed. And of course, you want, you want the price to be high, high enough so that uh, investments are actually generate uh, a return, so there is enough private uh, interest to invest. In, in this whole game, I think the influence of electronic of electric uh, power companies uh, can hardly be underestimated. I mean, they have a huge stake. Um, uh, when you think alone what it means for the for the balance sheet of these companies, if uh, if the if uh, a nuclear power plant can run one or two, three years longer, yeah, um, how this changes the value of the assets. Yeah? You can imagine that there's a lot uh, at stake and uh, that they will lose, use their, their influence, influence to somehow make sure that uh, nuclear, power, uh, nuclear power is not wiped off uh, completely uh, from Japan's energy production. So, but that, that, that's, that would be a very interesting case study for anybody doing politics. Yeah. How, because the, you, you have the statements, you have the statements in, in, in the media um, that are very reluctant and moderate. Yeah. But the interesting things behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, so, um, and also the media, what kind of information is channeled to the media to to create a certain, a certain urgency or um, to, um, uh, to try to change priorities. This is, uh, yeah, and it's a very, a very hot topic. Um, by April, probably, suppose all nuclear uh, power plants will be shut off. So we'll see, we can make a bet on when when will the first one be turned on? Maybe Hokkaido. I think there was somebody <laughs> elected there who was in favor. Um, other places, yeah. I cannot, I cannot answer this, but it's, it's, a, it's, an important, it's an important question. I don't think it's important. I think the Japanese economy can do without, without nuclear energy.
But the question is, who can bear the loss? Who, 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 has to, who, will, who will have to bear the loss of this write-off? Yeah? Um, and I mean, this would be very radical, yeah? very radical, more, much more radical than the German solution. Yeah? But um, it's a question of power at the local, at the local level. Let um, me come to the another another um, another important important sector uh, of the economy that has been affected by Fukushima. That's the fiscal situation of the Japanese government. I already mentioned 18 trillion extra budgets, supplementary budgets, uh, to cope with uh, the the losses. Of and costs of the disaster and of the clear-up. The Japanese government was already in bad shape. The fiscal conditions were, well, in international comparison, it's worst. <laughs> but I was told the other day that uh, Zimbabwe or some other country in Africa now has more uh, debt uh, relative to GDP than Japan, but maybe that's not the, the good comparison. Um, so highly indebted, but still the Japanese government can refinance its debt at an extremely low interest rate. Why? Because debt is internally financed. It's basically the Japanese households. They owe it to themselves. The question is still, is it sustainable? And we will see the whole financial system is at risk. It's not just government finance. It's also like we see in Europe. It's not just Greece. It's the whole of Europe because it's not only the debtor. It's also the creditor who is, who is involved when some, uh, someone defaults. And it's not only about default. The risk here we'll talk about is the interest rate. Yeah. Already a slight increase in the interest rate might trigger something. And um, I would point out two conditions that need to be met to keep the interest rate maybe at the present level. And that might be an indication of you know, how long the Japanese government might be able to go on. So highly, indebt highly indebted government, this is the net financial liabilities. Um, sometimes you'll see the cross financial liabilities. Uh, the net financial liabilities probably, I don't know, better measure about at that if you look at the net financial liabilities, then Japan doesn't fare so much worse. <laughs> um, but still, it will be overtaken by Greece, according to these OECD figures, um, or has already been overtaken by Greece. Um, even net financial liabilities are now at 126% of GDP. And if you look, I mean, financial markets, who understands financial markets? You would understand why people are worried about Greece, but why are people worried about Portugal and Spain and not about Japan? I mean, the situation looks, at least on this chart, very, very different. Here you see the worries of the, financial, of the market. Um, the 10-year government bond yield Japan down here. 
for long, since very long, down here at the bottom. Very low interest rate uh, refinancing. It's government debt at 1%, 1 to 1.5%. Um, Greece, who is in the same situation, has to pay more than 25% at the moment. Yeah. Um, others, Portugal, Spain, Italy, also pay a lot. Germany, United States are more favored by the market. But Japan seems to be not part of this world. Yeah? It has a huge, a huge debt. It seems to play in a different, in a different league, in a different area. Yeah? We talk about a global financial system, but where, what's, Japan has found a niche in there. Um, why? Well, because Japan hardly depends, the Japanese government hardly depends on international markets. It's financed basically from uh, domestic sources. You see here base the financial institutions, banks, insurance companies, and others, they hold 66% of uh, these are bonds and bills and also securities issued by public corporations. The sum is enormous. Yeah? This is billion, trillion. What's next? <laughs> yeah. So, um, the foreigner, foreigners oversees uh, just 7%, 7%. The government owns its own debt in a way. These are basically social securities that are part of the general government. Yeah? This is why net debt in Japan is much lower than gross debt because parts of the government, like the social security funds, they, uh, they invest their reserves in government bonds. Um, private households hardly invested directly, but private households are invested in banks and insurance companies, so indirectly they basically finance, they basically finance the government. So when we take the whole picture, we see that Japan is actually very rich. The Japanese government is very poor, but Japan as a whole, as a country, is very rich. It is, if you measure, if you take the net financial assets that Japan has abroad as a measure, then Japan is the largest creditor of the world. China is catching up, yeah? China is catching up, but Japan is still the largest creditor of the world. Um, no other country gives as much, has invested as much abroad, mainly portfolio investments, as Japan. But it's just the government yeah, that has not kept its balance, uh, its uh, fiscal, has not uh, controlled its expenditure. Uh, so basically, the private households, they are they're the rich sector. They finance the government, they finance the non-financial corporations, and they partly finance uh, overseas. Yeah? This is, um, of course, very different from Greece. That's very different from the United States. Yeah? The United States has a double deficit. Uh, it's very... Um, it's similar to Germany. Germany also has uh, some pos has a positive net asset position. 
um, uh, and an indebted government, but not as extreme uh, as Japan. So the Japanese owe it to themselves. Um, foreigners, foreign investors do not yet need to be concerned. Yeah? Um, it's very different from, from those countries we are concerned about. They normally have a double deficit. They are indebted overseas, and they have an indebted government. They're not able to finance their government debt out of their own assets. Yeah? Japan can do this, and even more. The big question is, can Japan, can the government somehow control, control the level of debt? Can it control the level of debt? Um, and normally what, what uh, people look at is the, the debt ratio, the ratio of debt to GDP, which is, uh, if you take the cross measure, it's more than twice the GDP. If you take the net measure, it's 1.3 or 1.2 of GDP. Um, this is a very simple, a very simple condition. Uh, if this condition is met, then Japan will be able to at least maintain the level, the debt ratio constant. Yeah? It's not reducing, it's just to keep it constant. But even to keep it constant, if you put in, if you input some realistic figures into this uh, formula, Japan would at the moment need a surplus in its government budget, a surplus of 2%, just to maintain the debt ratio. But Japan is running a deficit of 9%. Yeah? So uh, there is 11% of GDP, a gap of 11% of GDP that uh, separates the actual condition from this balance, from this uh, sustainability condition. And the longer you wait, the higher the debt GDP will grow. Yeah? So the ratio will get larger and larger. And as you see in the formula, then the surplus you, you need to stabilize will be larger and larger. So the longer, the longer Japan waits, the more difficult it will be to achieve stability. And well, the government says, well, let's wait till 2020. Yeah? Uh, <laughs> and uh, 2020, if a politician says, let's wait five years, that means let's have the others do it. Yeah? Because <laughs> then uh, the next one will be in government. Uh, the, Japan, the Japanese. Uh, Government said, "Let's yeah, let's let's look at 2020. By 2020, we want we want a positive surplus. Already now, they are 23 trillion yen behind achieving the goal of positive surplus. So there needs to be immense increase in tax, further expenditure cuts, and all kind of other measures to at least stabilize. You know, to just stabilize this. You know? This is in a way dramatic, but it seems that nobody cares." at least not the people who invest in the government. And maybe they don't want to know about this because it would harm them as well. The financial system and the government, are their fate is very closely entwined, intertwined. We ha the domestic financial institutions, as, I, as you saw before, 66% of government securities um, in their balance sheets uh, this is 27% of the assets. Um, so uh, why do they do this? It's not just because they're nationalistic and they want to support the government. 
there is, there is a collusion between governments and financial sector, worldwide, a collusion. You can see in the so-called, in the equity regulations that we have, the international equity regulations like the Basel uh, regulations or the solvency regulations for insurance, the bar, Basel regulations for banks. Under these regulations, investing in government bonds is risk-free. The, the insurance companies, the banks, don't need extra equity. Yeah? They don't need extra equity. That's in the interest of government. The government's made this law, made this regulation. Uh, it's in their interest because then the banks and insurance companies are, are ready uh, to take in uh, government bonds. That was also the case in Europe. Yeah? And now everybody says, well, I, why, why didn't you take care of the risk? Well, the regulations say, basically, it's risk-free. I don't need any additional equity. Yeah? The same for Japan. And um, now there are some simulations. You can say we're not talking about the default of the government. Just a 1%. The interest rate is very low. It's very likely that it just increases one percentage point, And then it still would be very low yeah, historically. Yeah? But this one percentage point would mean would cost the government an extra 1.3% of GDP every year as a running cost. And it would mean, that's an estimate by the Bank of Japan, it would mean that the Japanese banks alone would have a loss of 6.3 trillion, just one percent percentage point increase in, in uh, government yield, government interest rate. And 17% um, of their equity, um, that would be correspond to 17% of their equity. Um, so it's, well, yeah. It's a very, it's a high-risk, high-risk venture. Um, how, so the, the question is, on the one hand, when will politicians get the, the, the fiscal, when, when will they be able to attain a surplus, yeah, to keep at least the debt ratio constant? Uh, and then the other hand, on the other hand, how can Japan avoid the risk from rising interest rates? So how to keep these interest rates at this very low level? Well, you need continued monetary easing by the Bank of Japan to keep normal interest rates as low. Um, Bank of Japan, you can say, is independent, but it's responsible for the stability of the financial system. And the J Bank of Japan will say, well, we don't care about the government, but we care about the banks. And then that's why we continue monetary easing. Or, and the other thing is, Japan must not rely on foreign investors. They might not be as patient. Yeah? Um, so that means not to rely on foreign investors means that Japan needs a current account surplus. And um, this is still given. Yeah? The current account surplus is there, although domestic, uh, domestic savings are going down. Yeah? Domestic savings are going down rapidly. They might turn negative, already turned negative in 2009. Um, because of demographic change. Yeah? That's something that cannot, cannot be avoided. What's keeping the current account positive at the moment is the income Japan earns from abroad. Yeah? The interest income from abroad um, is about 2 to 3% of GDP. Yeah? So that's the assets Japan has abroad. Yeah? They generate some income that is repatriated. The final point... Um, the business 
business. Business is strong. <laughs> Uh, something has to be strong. Yeah? The people are strong in this country. Business uh, is strong, as we will see, but there are also some, uh, some things, technology, uh, strong technology position, but a low degree of internationalization and some six good reasons why I think that Japan should, Japanese economy uh, would do good to internationalize more and then Finally, what's, what about the yen? Japanese companies were known 20 years ago uh, to have a very low equity ratio, very highly dependent on outside debt. This has changed a bit. This is for the whole, whole the sum of Japanese corporations, not just the listed companies. They increased their equity ratio over the last 12 years years here from 20% to 37, almost doubled the equity ratio through returned profits, basically, uh, retained profits. Um, they have liquid assets surpass short-term debt by factor 1.3. Half of listed companies had more liquid assets than debt. They, are, they have a lot of money. They have a lot of money. That's healthy in one sense. They are healthy. They are robust, you see. The corporate fundraising costs are very at a very low level, and that's that's amazing. I was I was uh, surprised about this result that the losses due to large bankruptcies in 2011 was 3.5 trillion yen, the lowest level in 10 years, despite the triple disaster. Yeah, so they have they have all these reserves. Yeah, they have these reserves. Um, but that's also, you can also see it from the other side. They don't have any investment opportunity. Why do you have the, all this cash? Yeah? What, they don't know what to do with the money. Yeah? And they don't want to pay it out uh, to the shareholders. You know, some, American, some American funds are very keen on getting the cash out of Japanese companies, but uh, they are not so successful. So, um, yeah, investment. There should be, under these conditions, especially these very low Fundraising costs should, yeah, Japanese companies should invest. Obviously, they don't see as much investment opportunity. Of course, Japan might not offer um, if we, well, the reconstruction in Tohoku, of course, offers investment opportunities, but Japan as a whole uh, might be the investment opportunities are maybe dim as the population is declining and aging. So, um, another strong point, so they, they have money, they have technology, but maybe they're not using, again, they're not using, they're not using the money they have, they're not using the technology to the extent that they could. Um, they invest a lot, this is the global ranking, here they invest a lot in total R&D, they are third, US is first, second is China. Since 2009, China overtook Japan in total R&D spending. Um, business R&D, the same ranking. Number of worldwide patents, Japan is number one. So they have patents, they invest a lot in technology, but what they earn by licensing technology, they are sixth worldwide. Uh, they don't maybe get so much out of it. Um, so they have the technology. They have the money, 
to do more with it would mean to internationalize, to internationalize. And this is another, another somehow, uh, yeah, interesting, interesting, interesting figure, the export and import ratios. Uh, this is how Japan grew. So its GDP of 1990 is set at 100, so here. At 100, and then we go back to 1955, and we see how real GDP was growing, yeah, by a factor six, no more, seven. Over if that's 10, then it's 12. <laughs> then the export ratio and import ratio, more or less stable, 10 to 15 percent. Yeah. So in other other countries that that grow, normally they open, the, econ the economy opens. If you look at China and other, other developing models, yeah, they use, they open, they grow through opening up. Japan somehow does not fit in this, in this model. And um, also, if you look at, this is just trade. If you look at uh, foreign direct investment, Japan is the richest country, has a lot of foreign assets, but most of these foreign assets are portfolio investments. They're not invested in companies, in, in business undertakings. Yeah? So uh, Japan's share in global GDP is 9%. Its outward stock of FDI is 4%. The stock of inward FDI is just 1%. So Japan is not really part of the global of the global game to an extent that one would expect uh, just by looking at its size. They are, I think, the, f the, future, the future of the, of the Japanese economy would be to more integrate, yeah? to more integrate, to see, look for these investments abroad and uh, to apply their technology on a global scale, exploit growth opportunities abroad, to benefit from low-cost production more than they do. They already do, but they could do more. Yeah? Uh, they're not doing it to the extent that others do it. Yeah? That's, that's the point. It's not that they're not doing it. They're not just not doing it at a scale that other developing country, uh, developed countries are doing it. Recruiting developing global talent, following technology market trends internationally reducing exposure to exchange rate risk and reducing exposure to natural disaster risk. So there are six good reasons to do this. And there's one not so good reason, using the strong yen for acquisitions. And that's what's done now. Yeah? Most companies say, oh, we have money. Oh, the yen, the yen is strong. Let's buy. Let's buy. But what happens afterwards? Yeah? Um, this is not a good reason uh, to internationalize, but it happens. The final, final remark on the present situation, the yen, it's also, when you, when you see, there's hardly any, any day where not, not somebody is complaining about a high yen in Japan. Yeah? Now, you see, if, if you're asking economists, normally, yeah, economists always have more than one answer. Now, I have four answers yeah, to the yen, four answers. Um, it depends on what's the reference measure. You say, if you look, is the yen determined, the optimal rate of the yen determined where the current account is balanced? 
And Japan has a current account surplus, so the yen is still too low. Yeah. Is it, if you look at the purchasing power, the yen, is it correct when the purchasing power is equalized between abroad and Japan? Then you would say, well, the yen is too high. Yeah. If you say, well, it's the currency markets and they, the yen, the right level of the yen is where demand and supply of currency of the yen is just balanced, and that happens in a free market without intervention, so then the yen would be just right. And if you look at the historical perspective, you'd say, well, if that's, it has been gone up and down, yeah, this is the real effective exchange rate, then we are at a level that is not, well, it might just be right yeah, from a historical perspective. Yeah? So you choose what perspective you want, and you have an argument for too strong yen, you have an argument for too low yen, and you have arguments for a yen just being at the right level. Yeah. Thank you for listening. They are just the conclusions uh, out of this. Um, we started off, I started off by looking uh, at uh, Fukushima. They see that there's a lot of, a lot of problems remain there in the area, a lot of things uh, still have to be resolved, a lot of challenges. But uh, looking at the, as the, at the economy as a whole, the impact has been limited. Japan has the potential to do without nuclear power, but it might not have the political determination to do so. Um, the government is poor, but the economy is still rich. And uh, to preserve this strength, I feel that more internationalization is needed. What is also needed, um, something that occurred to me also after, after the earthquake, is that Japan needs public relations. Um, there is nobody in Japan who adequately communicates to the outside what Japan has to offer. Uh, the government is just in a mess. I mean, they are changing every half year or one year government is not able to communicate to the outside. To, it's not able to represent Japan to the outside and say, look, we have a strong country and we have a lot to offer. And Japan has indeed a lot to offer. So PR uh, is something that is uh, also needed. Thank you very much.